0: Relax and get ready to learn. Here's Pat.
1: Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast. I'm Pat Iyer, and I have with me today Amanda Hutton-Parrott. We're going to be talking in this podcast about something that affects you as an individual if you take any medications and affects the whole area of product liability, a fertile area for nurses to assist attorneys with cases. Amanda has her doctoral training. She has a background working in the pharmaceutical industry and she'll explain that as we go along. She also has strengths in working in urgent and emergent care and maintains a practice as a legal nurse consultant. That includes serving as an expert witness. Amanda, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Pat. Great to be here.
1: Now, I started off my day, like many people listening to this, taking some medications with my breakfast. Tell us about the process by which those drugs go from the idea stage to the point that they're available in
2: pharmacies for patients. Certainly. So the overall process takes about 14 years and costs the drug company upwards of $2 billion. It's a very long process. I'm just gonna outline the stages first and then I'll go into more detail. So first the drug companies need to find a target. um, So that can be a molecule, um, uh, an enzyme, a cancer cell. And then they find a molecule that can hit that target that will modulate the target and affect the disease process. Um, After that, preclinical testing begins, and then an IND or an investigational new drug um, application is uh, submitted to the FDA. Human testing begins in phases one, two, and three. Then a new drug application is submitted to the FDA or an NDA. And finally, post-approval marketing, so continual research um, is being done to uh, make sure that the drug is still safe and effective. So talking just a little bit more about tar- the target. So academics and scientists usually are the people who discover these targets in the disease process. Um, and they're really looking for an unmet need. So like in Alzheimer's disease, there aren't a lot of medications and that, that market is really booming right now because there's such an unmet need. So, um, and again, the target can be an enzyme, a cancer cell, a gene, a receptor. So then a molecule is found. and so. Th- you know, hundreds and thousands of molecules are put through things like high thre- throughput screening. And this is high um, generated computer models. And out of all of these, about one molecule will actually go to the pre- preclinical phase. And um, the preclinical phase, you know, is in animals, in vitro, in cells. And The goal of it is to establish what the drug safety is, um, the pharmacokinetics, so the absorption, the distribution, the metabolism, and the excretion of the drug, um, the potential efficacy, and it guides the decision-making about its progression to human clinical trials. So that is not in humans in the preclinical testing. So then an um, investigative new drug application is submitted to the FDA. And phase one of human trials begins. And this phase one is done in healthy individuals. And they're looking at the pharmacokinetics of the drug of the molecule, uh, candidate molecules, what it's called at this time. Um, and yeah, primarily looking at safety. Phase two, if they if the molecule passes that phase, phase two begins. And this is te- testing in a small number of, or a larger number of patients, about Um, anywhere from 100 to 600. And these are patients that have the disease state. So they're really looking at efficacy as well as safety during this time. Phase three drug trials, this is large numbers of people, thousands of people, you know, subjects from um, different countries and different areas of the world. And they're looking, you know, for testing efficacy and safety. These are pivotal phases because this will determine Um, labeling and marketing of the drug. Next, um, the new drug application is submitted to the FDA. If that is approved, um, the drug drug now goes into phase four. And these studies are undertaken after a drug has been licensed to gather further safety, efficacy, and effectiveness um, from routine clinical trials. So consumers and healthcare providers, there's a database where they can submit, you know, adverse effects of the drug for continual research?
1: I think what many people are concerned about, and as I listen to all of the involved steps, is that bringing a medication to market develops a momentum. And in the process of the momentum, there can be, and there have been, signals that the drug is not as safe as the company hoped, but the momentum keeps the process rolling and brings the drug to market only then to be released and to be starting to be taken by people. And then patterns of side effects or complications begin emerging. Can you give us some insights about that momentum process and what are the things that lead a company to ignore the warning signs.
2: You no, know, I I believe it's profit. I mean, a company puts so much money, you know, upwards of two billion dollars into developing a drug, and so if 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 it does not move through the stages and make it onto the market, they lose a lot of money.
1: Can you give us a sense of and I don't even know if these numbers exist, but they investigate a hundred drugs, just for as an, an example. What percentage of those drugs
2: actually get onto the drugstore shelves? Yeah, The percentage is about 12,000. So around 10,000 molecules um, or candidate molecules uh, go into preclinical testing, and about 12% of those actually make it to the market. Okay. So,
1: so, you're saying roughly 12% of 100 medications would go all the no, way? Or like
2: 10,000 10, candidate molecules. So they're not technically called drugs yet.
1: Oh, right. All right. I got it. Mm-hmm. I got it. They may be thoughts in a person's mind in a molecule, but never go through the process of getting completed into a medication.
2: Right. Right. Exactly.
1: What are some of the weak spots that we should be aware of as legal nurse consultants in this process that can lead to liability for
2: the manufacturers? Um, You know, I I think an easier easier way to talk about this is um, like the various themes of product uh, product pharmacology liability. Mm -hmm. Um, So themes of the lawsuits. And so here it kind of points out the weaknesses. So a failure to warn is one one, um, theme. So failure to provide adequate warnings or instructions, failure, failure to update the labeling as new safety information becomes available. Another theme is negligence, and that's failure to exercise reasonable care in conducting these clinical trials. Ensuring that safety of products are accurately representing risks and benefits. So, with the drug protocols, there are very specific um, regimens that are followed, and any deviation from the regimen, you know, can be a red flag. So, if a patient takes a drug, you know, a week later than they should have, or if their drug or their blood is drawn, you know, uh, three days late, all of these things can affect <clears throat> the clinical trials themselves. Um, so, so another theory, or, um, so another one is fraud and misrepresentation. So plaintiff attorneys um, may claim that the company knowingly misrese- misrepresented or concealed info about the drug safety and efficacy and the adverse effects leading to harm and damages. And I'll give you a specific example of this um, in just a minute. Uh, off-label use, so promoting the use of drug other than what the FDA has approved. Now there are what and what I worked on is a class action lawsuit, and they can combine some of these themes. So, I uh, I was working in an infectious disease clinic at UCSF, and I noticed that my patients were having a lot of bone and renal issues. And you know, through research and going to conferences, I um, became aware of a, a drug that potentially um, was causing this. And as I became a legal nurse consultant, I, I did a Google search looking you know, to start working, and I found um, these attorneys that had a class action lawsuit against this drug. And I was very, very passionate about it because my patients were actually suffering from, from these adverse effects. So this class action lawsuit um, combined failure to warn um, in addition to fraud and misrepresentation. Those were the themes of it.
1: I see. And what was your role working on these suits? What Specific responsibilities
2: did you have? Oh, it was it was great. So, like um, the RN direct call that has been discussed, it was a contract. So I had ten to twenty hours a week, and I really worked um, as part of a team of attorneys. So um, I did. I helped to write white papers. I located you know the most um, relevant uh, RCTs and meta analysis. Um, I created documents, lab documents, to screen um, the mass amount of patients that needed to be reviewed. And so there were a lot of people reviewing um, cases and then I would get the really challenging ones to see if if they had merit or not. Um, I was involved, I interviewed experts, uh, made a huge PowerPoint um, presentation on the science behind the adverse effects of this drugs and educated um, attorneys and staff. Um, I was always available for quick questions, attorneys would call and say, oh, and did, um, you know, what do you think about this? And um, also bellwether selection criteria. Um, And a bellwether is something, someone who, it's a group of uh, individuals that have the same issue or pathology, and um, I t- attended all the science meetings with the attorney, so it was it was really a great um, a great first work as a legal nurse consultant.
1: Yes, it's, it sounds like it. And as I listen, Amanda, your functioning was at a very high level, working on this case. What other levels are legal nurse consultants used for?
2: Mm -hmm, Sure. Yeah, so there is a mass, mass amount of, um, of patients to review. So do they have merit or not? And it's, you know, thousands and thousands of patients. So legal nurse consultants can certainly do a lot of this and to determine if the case is valid or not. Um, They also, you know, help with research and analysis, just helping understand the basic scientific aspects of the case. Um. also expert witness identification and a preparation of demonstrative exhibits um, that help the jury to understand um, the pathology behind the injuries that the drug may cause. Um, and, you know, collaboration with the experts, helping get the experts ready for the trial.
1: Mm-hmm. We've been talking about some of the themes that can be used by plaintiff attorneys as they are evaluating cases against pharmaceutical companies. Tell me about the false claims piece of this. What are they and how are they detected? Before we continue with the show, I'd like to share this special announcement with you. Hey, I'm Pat Iyer, and it is such a pleasure to bring to you Gina Carr, who is going to be one of the speakers at our October 26, 27, 28, 2023 online success conference. Gina and I have been working together for a number of years, and I know her as the co-founder of Video Rockstars, which has been rebranded as Stark Raving Entrepreneurs, We are all stark raving in her group. She is the person who has taught me so much about video presentations and I invited her to come to our conference to speak with you about the power of using video marketing. Gina, I am so excited that you're going to be one of our speakers and I would love it if you could tell our viewer just a little bit about what you're planning to cover during the conference.
3: Well, thank you so much, Pat, and I'm honored to be joining you and your legal nurse consultants again. This is one of my favorite events of the year. I just find it so rewarding the work that you're doing to help people because I think about the end patient that has been wronged in whatever's going on and the reason that the legal nurse consultants are needed. And so it really gives me a lot of uh, joy to be able to help them and specifically to help them create videos because I believe that video is one of the keys to building most businesses, especially service-based businesses, like a legal nurse consultant. Because the more that that someone the attorney who's considering hiring legal nurse consultant can be comfortable with their presentation skills the way that they are coming across on video which so much work is done on video and it translates into in-person work as well with video it's going to be the more they're, they're effective with that the better it's going to be for them and for the end user the the ultimate patient and so We're gonna cover those things that you'd think you might cover in a video course. In our time together in the retreat, we'll be talking about the basics of good video. You know, where to put your head, how to light your face, what to do about sound. Sound is the most important part of video. So how to handle that. What are you gonna talk about on your videos? What sort of structure do you need? How much does it need to be scripted versus not scripted? Do you need to use a teleprompter? Do you need to use stories and teaching points and all these things that many times will get people, it'll stop people as they're thinking about, oh my gosh, there's just so many options. I don't know what kind of camera to use. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Stop, stop, stop. I don't wanna do this. And we're gonna make it easy because I really have worked hard at making these processes easy for people to understand and so that they can incorporate them. That's the main thing we're gonna be talking about.
1: There is so much that you're gonna be covering in the session and it's essential for us to get over the fear of doing video. Speaking for myself, uh, I was telling Gina before we turned on the recording that I collected equipment very carefully for more than a year to make sure that I had everything that I needed. And when I looked back on it, it was a form of procrastination because I was scared. It was a big step. What we want to do in Gina's session is take away the fear and point out that it's not a big step now, especially where we are in our culture and in being comfortable on video cameras and doing virtual programs so heavily over the last three years. This is an important marketing technique for you as a legal nurse consultant to be able to jump into and explore and use it as a way to share your knowledge with the attorneys who are looking for you and want to hire you. So be sure to come to our online conference, October 26, 27, 28, 2023. The link for the conference is right below this video. You'll find it on the screen. It is lnc.tips forward slash October 2023 virtual. And if you see this video after October, we will have the recordings available. You're not gonna wanna miss the education, the support and the knowledge that you get when you attend our online success conference. I'll see you there. Now let's return to the
2: show. So false claims. Um, so false claims, um, again, as in clinical trials, they have very specific protocols to follow, documentation, collection of materials. So it's artificially creating data when it should be collected from an actual experiment, or unauthorized altering or falsification of data, documents, images. And it's detected in three main ways, by examination of the data produced, by collaborators blowing the whistle on the perpetrators and by regular data audits. So drug companies will have regular data audits of um, people coming in to monitor the um, clinical trials.
1: Okay, thank you for that. I'm thinking about Mm -hmm. the people who see the advertisements on TV that says, have you taken this drug? And do you have this problem? If so, call us, we're happy to talk with you. We wanna talk with you. Tell us about how a legal nurse consultant starts teasing out, the patient took the drug, the patient has this condition, But what else could have caused that condition other than the medication? As an example, what are some of the factors that go into identifying the people who would be those good candidates or the bellwether plaintiffs? Mm
3: -hmm. Right,
2: so there, so I'm gonna, I'll give a kind of a true to life example without naming the drug because it's still um, in, in trial. And so, A drug causes uh, renal dysfunction, so acute renal failure, chronic kidney disease, and also bone mineral toxicity, so causing fractures, uh, decreased bone mineral density. And so you have to tease that. So you have to identify what those uh, labs or diagnostic tests uh, prove that this is actually occurring in the body so like a DEXA scan, and then you also have to prove that the drug caused this and to rule out what else could have caused it. So for example, steroids could cause bone mineral density. So did the patient take a lot of steroids? Do they have asthma and have been on persistent uh, prednisone? Um. Also, um. like lab values, so they're, they're, uh, in terms of kidneys, their GFR. You know, did it gradually decline. Is it age an age appropriate decline, or is this a significant um, decline that there isn't any other reason for it? So looking at like Pat just said, other causes um, that could have caused the injury, or um, or you know the drug itself. Now, interestingly, in California, um, there there is a law that says that any contribution is valid. So it's not, in some states it's a percentage of, did the drug cause this much damage or, um, but in California it's actually any damage from the drug is valid. So that that made this lawsuit in particular um, a little bit easier to prove.
1: If a legal nurse consultant listening to your podcast were to think about getting involved in this area, what are the skills that you think are important to be successful in working on product liability cases and specifically medication
2: cases? Right. So very familiar with the um, the pathology of what the drug has um, expected of, of causing. So um, in HIV, very familiar with all of the HIV meds and what they cause, what the potential side effects and what they cause. But Having worked in the area um, of the drug. So, if it's a GI drug, you know, very familiar with the pathology um, of the GI systems and the potential um, adverse effects of drugs. So, just familiarity and, and experience in that field, I think is super important. Yes.
1: <laughs> uh, in the work extracting information from medical records, is it your um, experience that the Law firms working in this area are using online databases asking legal nurse consultants to pull information out of medical records that are online and entering information into specific fields. Is that the type of analysis that is occurring at this point?
2: Yes, that there are programs like Clio and things like that that, that attorneys are using. But where it gets really interesting is when a patient doesn't fit into um, certain categories, and then you have to really figure out, does the the patient qualify or not? So I think there's two levels, one of the data entry part and two of a a little bit higher level in um, the more complicated patients.
1: Yes. And it sounds like you fulfilled that higher
2: level of
1: service.
2: It was, it was great. Now, I'm going to give you a little, um, I, not exactly fun fact, but I worked on the case for two years, and it's still in the courts, and that's why I'm not speaking specifically about it. But I happened to be a provider of one of the bellwethers, and so I could no longer work on the case because I was a conflict of interest. So that was a, a lesson learned the hard way. <laughs> All right, so let me make sure I understand
1: it. You were taking care of one of the patients who was selected to be a bellwether plaintiff in that particular lawsuit. Right. And then that created a conflict so that you couldn't continue to work on the lawsuit.
2: Right. Because they were um, afraid that Gilead would depose me. And the information that I knew, um, you know, was confidential to the plaintiff's side.
1: Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. We mentioned in the beginning that you provide expert witness services. Can you tell our listener what is the area in which you would be providing services?
2: So any area in HIV or infectious diseases. So hepatitis C, hepatitis B, um, toxoplasmosis, uh, HIV. So those areas. And I I also now work in urgent and emergency care and I'm um, any patient like with HIV or an infectious disease is usually funneled towards me. So that's kind of my specialty within urgent care and emergency medicine, in addition to just, you know, your average or not average, but you know, cases, common cases. Mm -hmm. All right. So you could
1: provide expert witness services related to infectious disease, HIV, urgent care, emergency department, that's what we've covered.
2: Yes, yes.
1: How can our listener find out more about your services and get in touch with you?
2: Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn under Amanda Hutton Parrott. That's probably the easiest way. Or you could email me at parrot at medical um, That the, My website address is medical law, and that's with two L's, um, consulting.com. All right.
1: This is clearly a very complex area, Amanda, with lots of steps, lots of layers, and many opportunities for legal nurse consultants (laughs) to assist attorneys with particularly analysis of medical records, extracting data, helping to sort out which of those plaintiffs who is involved in this suit have a meritorious claim and could potentially be taken further. Uh, Which of the people who want to be part of the lawsuit may have no damages or no connection to whatever is wrong with them. They may not have taken the medication at all, or long enough, or other factors in their medical history which make it hard to prove that there's a connection between taking the medication and the damages that they're claiming. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Amanda, for sharing your knowledge on Legal Podcast, and I appreciate your expertise and your experience in what is a unique role. I know lots of legal nurse consultants who extract information from medical records to obtain that information to guide the attorneys. And you're the first person that I've met who's worked at that high level to be able to provide your nursing knowledge to guide the attorney. So that's a special contribution. Yeah.
2: That's
1: great. And for you who's watching this program on Legal Nurse Podcast, you can catch our show on YouTube at Legal Nurse Business. That's our channel or watch it at uh, podcast.legalnursebusiness.com. Be sure to come back next week for a new show and if you have heard information in our shows that you would like to be able to review again, you can request our transcripts, which are available at our website at podcast.legalnursebusiness.com, and you will be able to read the information that you have listened to. Thanks so much. I've been Pat Iyer with Amanda Hutton Parrott talking about some of the nuances of how drugs get to market And the many opportunities along the way for that process to fail for a drug not to be able to clear through all the hurdles or the profit motive that sometimes drives companies developing products to ignore warning signs. And unfortunately, we get involved in those cases as legal nurse consultants all too often. See you next week. Hi, this is Pat Iyer. and coming up next, you're going to have an opportunity to hear from a nurse with a lot of experience in nursing and specialty in the area of diabetes. Her name is Janelle Lee. Janelle and I just finished recording our podcast, and I'll ask you, Janelle, if you could tell our listener or our viewer, what were some of the topics
3: that we covered? Well, we started out talking with the prevalence of diabetes within the U.S. and the worldwide ramifications of it, um, and then discussed the four four different types of diabetes, primary two, um, and then the new technologies that are out there to help persons manage their diabetes, specifically type 1 diabetics manage their diabetes, and different treatment Uh, programs for type one versus type two. Um, We also then discussed some of the liability issues that you would encounter if you were a legal nurse reviewing cases and uh, some of the problems to look for and some of the records that you would want to request in order to review if you were a legal nurse.
1: I know that you'll enjoy Janelle's podcast and appreciate the tips that she has shared with us in this podcast. Be sure to look for Janelle Lee's podcast on Legal Nurse podcast coming up next.
3: Thank you.
0: Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Join our community to get notified of each new episode and to receive the transcript of today's program. Complete the request form on podcast.legalnursebusiness.com. We appreciate you and your interest.